You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the After Laugh. Um, this is a uh, quarantine edition number, I don't know, 300. But uh, I'm here, I have uh, an old friend, uh, acquaintance, someone I've known in the comedy scene for a while who's really kind of taken huge strides in the game. And I think you've been changing the game, Hunter Hill. Here you are. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for actually violating, uh, are we in lockdown, or are we in quarantine, or whatever the fuck it is? I, I, st- I have stopped watching the news. Are you serious? You um, yeah, watching? Yeah. I have Twitter. Like, I'll get push notifications. My wife watches for me, like, if, if something big happens or if we actually go into, like, full-on shutdown again. Yeah. Then, then I'll for sure be aware. But I just try, just for, like, my mental happiness. Yeah. Try not to just get obsessed with it. It's funny that you said you don't watch news, but you're on Twitter because Twitter is sort of pushing the news. And, and also Twitter can be some of the most infuriating shit. I read. Twitter is is an app where if you're if you do it wrong, if you don't if you don't put in some parameters, you will throw your phone. Uh, but but I, I only like I only receive push notifications from like certain accounts and yes and and try to just follow pretty unbiased news sources. So you don't have like Kellyanne Conway popping up on your no phone no no no. <laughs> I like Associated Press uh, and and that's a that the Atlantic and maybe maybe like those those are the two. Yeah yeah no Fox no CNN just just facts. Now is your is your family because this is something I've actually had to come to terms with. Is your family liberal across the board? Because you're married as well. You're I'm married. In-laws. How's Thanksgiving dinner look like? Your um, my fam, my 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 in-laws are conservative, but they've 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 grown. I, I feel like our wokeness is like rubbing off on them. <laughs> like like now, they they've come a long way since the 2016 election. Is there like, something specifically you can like point to? Or like, wow, I can't believe. I will say specifically in terms of me, when I was growing up, my dad was very Republican. And I had a black girlfriend. My dad said, he sat me, this was my senior year in high school, he sat me down and said, it's against the Bible for white people and black people Whoa. to mingle like that. It's in the Tower of Babel. God separated the races Whoa. for a reason. By the way, my dad is a lovely man. Yeah. He is a product of his upbringing and everyone's a product of, you know, it's hard to know where it starts. A- absolutely. So, um, but now he's, my brother married a, a Muslim girl from Turkey. He's fine. I brought home several black girlfriends since then and then jewish girlfriends and they've they've changed quite a bit but he's still over but he still watches tucker carlson <laughs> watches fox news but i think he's definitely uh, modified his his belief so uh, you said you've wor- you've worn off on them how is that yeah i mean I, I definitely have like a memory in 2016 we were building the rec room in huntington beach and we used to just like stay at a hotel down there just to like hey by the way Hunt, uh rec room Huntington beach was a really really cool uh, is it still there it's still there called the rec room it's yeah. a really cool comedy club that you'd get all the top comics from la going down there which is weird because huntington beach is not close it's i mean long beach laugh factory it's hard to get people out there and huntington yeah. is another 40 minutes from there half hour from there yeah, we, we got really lucky. It's a great room, low ceilings, really well lit. Um, and did you create, did you build it yourself or design it? 
Yeah, like my my father-in-law, like I would wake up at 5 a.m., drive down there from here and like yell at contractors about the (laughs) ceiling height and the the materials and like the reflectiveness, like how laughter needed to bounce off of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, probably really annoying and hard to work with. Well, of course. But then again, how can you not be if you're getting something done that's good? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I more than running comedy shows, I love comedy. So, you know the whole point of building that place was for me to be able to feel comfortable reaching out to comics yeah. and, and being proud of it. So how did you know that you, how did you know the parameters and how to design a comedy club? Did you, had you been researching the logistics of, of, cause oh. I will tell you this when, when Gotham, you go to New York sometimes, right? Yeah. Gotham had their new club, right? I remember, um, in Chris Mazzilian, those guys are perfectionists. They were like, we're the Yankees of stand up comedy. Um, I thought they fucked up because it was very wide with really high ceilings, right? But luckily, they're able to pack it so much, so often, because they're so corporate, that you can't really tell. When it's empty, it's death. There's some rooms where you look at it and like that you you think this doesn't make sense. Like Comedy Works South is mm-hmm. massive. Huge. They they have a mezzanine, <laughs> yeah. and and then you do the show and you're like, oh, the stage is like packed into this little corner. Everything is just like surrounding me, and I'm in this little happy cocoon of laughter. Yeah, I don't know that I had like a blueprint just just from like running my show in L.A. for so long and just kind of starting my first show and like seeing the psychology behind laughter like okay if the lights are bright then people are kind of thinking about okay is the person next to me laughing can i laugh at this yeah or if you put people in a dark room then they're just like i think this is funny and they start laughing and they're not like working backwards about like am i politically incorrect for laughing am i offending my date for laughing is it a little too soon to be laughing at this material i'm a little too comfortable right now yeah but if you're just completely alone in the dark then I feel like all that goes away and you can just click send, click send, click send. Wow, that's really interesting because I know there's a big dichotomy in certain clubs here. For example, Laugh Factory is notoriously well lit. Right. Comedy Store is notoriously not well lit. Right. And it lends itself to a different kind of comedy on some level. It's a, there's a reason why Dane Cook came up in the Laugh Factory because it's very in your face and bright. And I, th- I think there's also comics that just like thrive in different settings. Yeah. I think... I forget who it was describing different comedy clubs as different types of gyms where you have like mm. a boxing gym or a leg gym or, you know, just like a, a like a, more of just like a well-rounded, like, yeah, just uh, exercise where, where, you know, uh, Todd Barry, I've like produced shows for him and he like loves all the lights just so he can dip into crowd work whenever he of wants. Course. And he's like so comfortable. Now I want to get into your sort of your, how you got into producing. Um, like I said, I met you, God, it must've been 10 years ago. A while ago. Before my coma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I just learned about. Um, but <laughs> Some you, friend. <laughs> you were just out of school, I think? Were you at UCA? What, what's your uh, history? What's your background? My, my dad would only pay for me to go to college if I went for business. So I didn't go to college. <laughs> you knew you wanted to do entertainment or stand-up? Or? At the time, I wanted to be a graphic artist. Like, uh-huh. out of high school, I, got, I, I went to high school in Corona Del Mar, so down in Orange County. Uh-huh. And then I got hired as an intern at Hurley my junior year of Hurley high school. Hurley is like the snowboarding, biking? Yeah, like, uh, like snowboarding, Remember surfing. helicopters yeah, yeah. looking for Britney Spears. Yeah, there they are. They, they come is that what's going on? No, I don't know. I, don't I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, just live in a cocoon. Um, yeah, so, so like as a junior in high school, my my summer job was I got to go to this huge clothing company and like help design their t-shirts and like oh, wow. and do all that and was just 
in love with the culture they had at the company and just like the world of like creating stuff and then seeing it p- be put out in the world. So you got to see your prints and your designs for sale. Yeah. When you were in high school. Yeah. And then I went back the next year and like merchandising and like helped them like do catalogs and like figure out how like clothes complement each other. And it was just that they, they all assumed that I was 18 or 19. I, I think like we figured out my second summer that like I wasn't really technically allowed to work there. The, the <laughs> yeah. first one. Um, but at that time, that was like all I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I already had a good some some momentum going into it. So I, j- I just knew that spending money in four years to do something that I wasn't thrilled about. Yeah. Here, let's put myself in debt, join a job market that's non-existent, get a degree that's majorly, ma- mainly being outsourced to China. Uh, y- y- you know, like a- MBAs just aren't worth what they used to be. Now, let me ask you this, because I, I, I've talked to a lot of people about this. Have you heard of the book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad? No. So it's a book that basically says who you become as an entrepreneur and as a business person is sort of a reflection of your dad's wealth and how they approach wealth and how they look at wealth. And so I grew up sort of with a very government bureaucratic lower middle class dad who was just like, get enough money to live Hmm. and then hide with your family. You know what I mean? And then I started and then I went to college at Princeton. Everyone was about like you make money is used to make money. Money is used for growth and development. And that's always been, even now today, it's something that I, I struggle with, with the idea of like, what the point of money. Now, so it seems for you, you had an entrepreneurial spirit early on. That's a badass decision to go. I mean, seriously, I'm not just, but like, <laughs> God damn, it's so funny because so many people I've worked for over the years never went to college. Across the board. I worked for Tucker Max for a while, never went to college. Jamie Masada never went to college. Jamie Kennedy never went to college. It goes on and on and on. And I feel like it belies a personality that is like, I have skills, I have a craft, I, I know what I'm good at, and I can make money now. Why the fuck am I going to college? And most people don't have that presence at 17 or 18. I didn't understand it, and I still would take college courses and, and, and pay for those my, myself just because I was, I, it's not, it wasn't that I didn't want to learn. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't want to buy into a program and, and, and spend hours learning about stuff that doesn't necessarily apply to where I want to end up. Yeah. So I, I never thought about it as being a brave thing. My, I, did your parents sort of, what, what was their day? Were they, were they business people as well? Did my, my dad started a, a Christian mortgage company with his brother um, ages ago. It's not around anymore. What does that mean, a Christian mortgage company? It, it's a mortgage company that focuses their ad dollars on Christians. And so it focuses on forgiveness? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know, actually. I, I, I'm pretty sure they'd, they'd they come after you. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I spent, it was weird, like for, for my early childhood, I spent a lot of time with my mom and my stepdad, who was in advertising. But then... In high school, I spent a lot of time with my dad, but when I say a lot of time, by the time I was living with my dad and, and going to high school down in Orange County, he was kind of in this phase of like, I'm kind of over being a parent and just want to be a single dude <laughs> in his 50s in Newport Beach. And, oh, boy. and I was like, I was on autopilot. He was on autopilot. What was his car? Come on, you have the 50-year-old he, he, had the, he had a BMW 7 Series. Like uh, my, my uncle, who also lived in the house, had like an Oldsmobile 442 like motorcycles it was 
gross it was like and you knew at a young age you're like whoa this is like midlife crisis shit. not okay yeah. like like my uncle would like leave out brochures for private planes that he for sure could not afford but they were just like on the coffee table like yeah i'm thinking about getting it yeah and it was just just like manipulation and just like shallow nights and i'm sure everyone was getting something out of it but yeah. but it just for me it was lots of hunter meet so-and-so and me just being like i'm exhausted this is the fourth girl this week i don't yeah. i'm not gonna see him again why 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 are we doing this yeah so i i everyone in my you life child i have uh loads of brothers and sisters oh really but we were all split up so like i was sent to military school and then like my stepdad is an interesting person um who, who i'm still trying to wrap my head around i know there's good because he he provided for the family sure but me and my sister my my sister struggled with a lot of like uh mental health uh earlier on so i have a sister who like grew up for a good chunk of her life in and out of like treatment centers and and programs so like i have lots of experience like taking off my shoelaces before like going to see siblings and what um, was her uh, diagnosis? It changed. It was bipolar. It was, it, I mean, they, they were just throwing stuff to, to see what kind of medication would work. She's great now and she's happy. And She's great now. Yeah. She has a wow. house. She has a That's husband. She's, you know, she, she works for a school district and, and she figured it out. It was just, she didn't really fit into, I think, like the family that my stepdad envisioned having. And then. So was there a little bit of gaslighting maybe going on in terms of. I mean, I hate to say that, but no, she didn't. feel like she was pushed that way because your stepdad had this idea about her that she didn't match. And all of a sudden that resulted in her being quote unquote crazy. I mean, she definitely did have some stuff that she needed yeah. some help with and the, the patience of, I get, he was a stepfather. So I guess there just wasn't that built in patience of this is a family member yeah. and it doesn't really matter what kind of state they're in. We need to like stick, stick by them. It was comparable with me. Like, um, I was like a weird musical theater nerd. I was in every musical in middle school. I asked for my, my own makeup kit. Like, I was super into it. Love performing. But I have like a vivid memory of him and I getting in an argument where he was just like, I don't understand you. Don't play sports. You don't go to parties. You have no character. And it was just <laughs> like, I have my own makeup kit and know how to tap dance. I have so many characters. How many characters do you need? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. I will <laughs> roll call. Uh, so it, it was just like, and then, then, you know, after that I was sent to military school to like man up and like get tougher. Wow. How old are you went to military school? 13. That was always a threat. My parents said to me that it was a threat. Don't fuck up. If you yeah. fuck up, we're, cause I got suspended a lot. I never got suspended. I lied about my grades cause I was scared about getting in trouble. Yeah. And they, they sent me to military school. So what like military school, army, Navy Academy of Carlsbad. So, oh, it, so still in California. Uh huh. So it, it was a commute school, or you you were there. I lived on site. I would take the Amtrak That's home. Terrifying. It was gnarly. I mean, the hazing, like just the character building. We'll put it that the way. Character building. The character building. Do you look back at that stuff and go, "Holy shit, that should be illegal." Yeah, I mean, a lot of it. it, it there's a lot of stuff that happened to me that could not happen now. Um, but I'm also like so grateful for that because. Sure. I'm very proud of the person that I am now, and I don't know who I would be if if, if you weren't if all these misadventures hadn't happened. Interesting question because I do think that, and I've, it's such a question that comes up now. And do you have do you and your wife have a kid? Not yet. We're trying though. You're trying, yeah. Um, because 
how you discipline how you raise children is such a such a weird subject to talk about now because obviously sp- even spanking is sort of off the table in general right yeah and i grew up being spanked i was hit with my hot hot wheels tracks uh by my drunk mom and um i got the belt you got the belt yep and i think there's there is something to that that does there's something about humility and humiliation and suffering pain that isn't all bad and if you make every child an indigo child like oh yes we want to it it can create an entitlement that can be bad as well yeah there needs to be some grit on you there you need that character building i i don't i mean i was spanked i never thought of it as anything other than discipline yeah and i have a little brother uh you know who wasn't planned so when i was 14 he was one but you know like as a teenager like having a little kid I have this distinct memory. My little brother was like four and we were at the beach and he thought it was hilarious to throw sand in people's eyes. <laughs> and we told him like 20 times like, hey, don't do that. And he would just laugh and keep doing it. And as a teenager, I just took sand and like lightly threw it back in his eyes and he started bawling. And it was like, he was old enough to where he could be like, that kind of oh, sucks, right? Yeah. Like you, you see what you're doing to people. And it was just like instant, like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. So it like, I don't, I don't know. What was the worst thing that happened in military school? Do you have any stories out of military school? Because I've always Ugh. it's always been my alternate reality that I was sent to military school. I had people use my laundry bag as toilet paper. I had people ejaculate onto family photos. I imagine there's a lot of ejaculation in military school. A lot of ejaculation. People would like pour soda onto my computers. I was beat up just a lot. I was called names just a lot. Um and there wasn't really like you didn't want to be the guy who like ratted anyone out i was also raised with like the turn the other cheek mentality yeah so there was like a point like three quarters of the, the way through the year my parents were like hey we, we know you told we, we told you to never swing back but you, you got to start lobbing oh. some punches and, and did you y- yeah uh i only once it was this really like fucked up they were threatening to beat up a kid if he didn't beat me up and we were like talking it out in real time and he was like i'm sorry and it's like it's okay uh just <laughs> lord of the flies uh yeah it's like hunger games and i i i threw one punch and i'm not strong or but coordinated you're a big dude, though. i'm bigger it had some momentum and his head like just walked back and hit a counter and he had to go get stitches you probably felt like garbage i felt horrible but also all the kids that were telling like none of the kids that were about to beat both of us up were like oh i'm next like let me have my shot everyone was like oh that dude's head's bleeding we'll we'll, (laughs) we'll probably take a step back yeah so i mean i was only sent there for one year and then they wanted to my, my stepdad wanted to send me to another school and my dad was like no he'll come live with me so that's why i went to orange county interesting yeah so it was just different parenting styles at different chapters. Um, but, but like once the, the I guess the, the thing I remember just like circling back to like father figures and how they use money. Yeah. I think I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit, but I also just remember my stepdad spending money when we didn't have it. Yeah. And just like, so there's two sides of it to where like now when I have money, I feel like, I need to buy myself a present. I don't know I'm going to have this again. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the other side of it where like, because of their, their, how frivolous they were. I'm also like pretty calculated and, yeah, and smart. Yeah, yeah. So you're working at Hurley. You're doing pretty well. You're getting designs out there. 
And then when did the moment, when did the shift come towards entertainment for you in comedy? And I mean, by the way, I, the musical theater thing is friggin' awesome. And, and oh, do you it. still have a chance to do musical theater in your life? No, and every time I go to a play, I'm like, I really miss this. You should be King George in, in, uh, in uh, Hamilton. I would love that. I mean, I, I fall asleep watching Hamilton still. I There's just such like a camaraderie. Should I call Tommy Kale right now? Oh my God, please. <laughs> I, I, there's just like a camaraderie in a summer camp and just like uh, a simpleness. You, you get to be creative. You get to push yourself. But also like being a kid that was like being sent all over the place. It was really nice to like wear a mask and be someone else yeah. and, and feel invincible. And your your interest in musical theater was sort of on your own and not supported. And it wasn't like your parents were like, hey, show tunes. It was it was weird. It was really supported um, until I wanted that's what I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden it was unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, and then it was. You know, you're really good, but that doesn't mean anything's going to happen, you know, yeah. and, and we'd rather you kind of put some momentum into something that might pan out and you being heartbroken. It sucks that parents do that, but I'm a parent now and I have a daughter and uh, I understand it. Uh -huh. I would never tell my daughter to not do whatever she does, wants to do, because she wants to get into film now, but I understand the urge to be like, well, yeah, you know, there's a dark CD underbelly. They were just trying to like protect me. My dad, maybe up until like two years ago, would still at like family dinners be like, you know, you can still go back to college. <laughs> they have these night programs I've been researching. And it's like, dad, we own a house. We like, a house. Like, yeah, yeah. Like we, we would pay a mortgage. It, it, it's going to be okay. So when did, uh, yeah, how did comedy, because like I said, I met you like 10 years ago and I think you were kind of a year or two in, you were running a show. Maybe months. Maybe months in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I met you super early on. My, my little sister, I was... I was not in a great place. My my mom wanted to get a divorce but couldn't afford to. Oh, that's tough. So I had sold my car, moved from Orange County, and was like waiting tables and like helping her pay half of like a, a condo where she could have my little brother. So like joint custody and I, I was playing dad and brother at the same time. Yeah. And my sister was like, you should get into stand-up. And I was like, I am. That's interesting. Your sister was the one who had the idea. Yeah. She was just like, you're funny, you should do it type of thing. And it was, so, yeah, and it, and it was, she didn't approach it as, as anything other than like, it's it's simple. Like, this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And it wasn't something, stand-up wasn't, like, I, I loved stand-up, I consumed stand-up, and I, I grew up in theater, but it was never something, I guess, just all the brainwashing of how unrealistic entertainment That's was. a profession, for sure. Just got to me, and I've kind, kind of written that off. Um, she suggested it. And then another friend of mine just got on Craigslist and like started pretending to, to, to be a manager, uh, which is not something you need when booking comedy shows on Craigslist, uh, and, and signed me up for like a show and then just told me that I'd been booked on this big important thing. So I, I was given two weeks to write seven minutes worth of material and then- wow. Where was the show? The Palms Bar on Santa Monica. I don't even know if it's still there. Um, the Palms, old, it's an old school restaurant, right? No, no. not not the cool restaurant. Okay. Just like a hole in the wall. Literally had like a hole in the stage. Yeah. Dive bar. Seven minutes from zero minutes. Seven minutes from zero minutes. So just what, was like, your, what was your approach to that? I can't even. I'm sure I was just emulating everyone I enjoyed at the time. Um, yeah. I'm glad that I don't know where that is. <laughs> so it was recorded. Yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. My mom was there, like a bunch of people, and, and, I, and I fell in love with it right away. Right away. So I had a good set right away. Loved it. Had to do it all the time. D 
did like another sh- like i did like a horrible bringer show at the hollywood hotel and like that basement that they used to run mics at yeah and then started doing bringer shows at the comedy store and i think it was like shortly after that that i met you through julia and uh i ended up it was i did like a well you were producing your own show not pretty soon yeah i think shortly after i met you i started producing it but i i I ended up just like doing a set in the or one night on a bringer show and then drunkenly followed julia to like a a hole in the wall back black box theater yeah and um I had like the biggest crush on Julia at the time. I was like, I'm going to go to this rap party. Uh, and it was just, Julia was the only girl and it was just like 20 gay dudes dancing. And I'm like, this is not going great. Uh, <laughs> and I ended up introducing myself to the dude just playing music from his iPod. Cause I liked what he was playing. Yeah. And that guy ended up owning the whole theater. Oh wow. And I just drunkenly asked like, Hey, can I start a comedy show here? Amazing. And that, you know, led to me being able to like book myself along people. I could, learn from and grow with and yeah it, it turned into a, th- a thing for a, a, a while yeah which it was, was cool it, it's funny because the, the way that like your name comes up in my life first of all i met you i always thought you were super cool and really nice and everything Stop that you're telling it. me just sort of corroborates that you're like thank you man i waited tables while i paid for my mother you fucking asshole you make everyone look like a piece of shit anyway you do what you have to do <laughs> no i know it's great yeah. but you're just obviously a good guy so and then like this show happened and i think i did i did it once or something and it was cool and then i would hear about oh i'm doing 100 shows like oh cool that guy's doing cool stuff and then i, heard, I started hearing about the rec room and i was like everyone's oh man rec room, you gotta do the rec room you gotta do the rec room I'm like who's running it was like hunter hill I was like that guy man damn he's doing cool shit man and then i saw that you started touring with eliza i want to hear that story how that happened because that's obviously a very important relationship and then uh was just talking to someone else about shows now in quarantine and Matt Reif and and everyone's like this is the fucking coolest thing. I saw the pictures with the TVs. I was like, who's doing Hunter Hill? I was like, this motherfucker <laughs> is like going to be running the game. So uh, so I, I just wanted to hear about how this all. So first of all, um, so you're doing the show and at some point you you got together with Eliza. How did how did that happen? Eliza's just uh, she's been the best to me man Um, I reached out to Eliza like 2013 probably like right around when I met you I I sent her a Facebook message blindly saying will you do the show yes you're like well great Uh, there's lots of me alone in my mom's condo just like jumping up and punching the ceiling out of excitement (laughs) and uh, the second time Eliza did the show she got off stage and she grabbed me almost aggressively like from the shirt and she was like why can't i do this show every week and i just like started rambling i was like i live in westlake village i don't have a car i have to take three buses and a subway one way just to get here i don't know anyone i don't have means of transportation i can't network i'm doing the best i can and she like pushed me away and was like ugh, and like like well you know walked off to her next set and the next morning i woke up to an email from her and the subject line was just no more excuses and she just gave me everyone's email address. She's like, wow. here's Natasha Legero, here's Pete Holmes, here's Anthony Jesselnik, here's just like Dimitri Martin, here's everybody you would ever want to email. You let them know that I gave you this and amazing. Make sure you and reach out to me on this kind of underground cult 
it took off i mean we had like damon wayne senior like running 90 minutes every other week you know we had you know we we i started like spinoff shows we we helped start goddamn comedy jam so like Mm -hmm. on monday nights you could see bill bird drumming and josh adam myers like doing stage dives and then on wednesday we would have super secret which was just like you were starting that i helped yeah yeah yeah. amazing uh i did their 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 flyer like the the art that like josh has tattooed on his arm was like just done by me in the back room on on not the tattoo but the art just uh in the green room so like i was just kind of like running all the comedy programming but all out of just like a selfish want to be a comic and to know that la is so saturated and even if you have credits even if you are funny so what because there's 20 other people that are probably more deserving wanting that stage time also so i was just like if i can have a show then i control it and i can make sure that at least i'm on it and i can grow with these people yeah and i think it was like maybe like two years of producing before before like comics would like start to notice tags because you you live in like people's phones as like hunter hill booker or hunter hill producer hunter hill runs this show yeah no one ever like sees those people as a comic and i do the same thing now i just like this show yeah. this show yeah. this and i'm show. not going to name names but we know that there are lots of comedy bookers and producers out there who aren't funny yeah so you, you see you people running the same seven minutes every week and it's just like when was this written i've been coming you know it there's just people that live in this time capsule and their their mu- their brain as a muscle only starts to work in a producer capacity and they're, they're not writing new material they're not pushing themselves on that level how were you able to find that balance of doing both I didn't for the longest time for really the the first year and a half I was doing the same eight minutes every night and that eight minutes was great so I felt like I was crushing and I felt like I'm a comic because I can do this and then I would see these other people doing the same material and I would see my peers like friends that I was booking on the show have new jokes and me just be like oh and we would have return audiences so it's like of course when you're booking the show like yeah same friends come back and i was young enough to also just learn for the first time like jokes aren't always going to resonate with you the same way to where like all of a sudden you're going to tell a joke one night and you're going to hate it because you know that the laughter comes here and it's not exciting anymore and then subconsciously the audience is just like oh this isn't real anymore yeah and just everything's kind of lost so i i just like started pushing myself to actually try new music. I, I would like start each show with like I never I, I didn't do an open mic until like 2018 because I just had super secret and I would start each show with like three minutes of just will this work yeah and I and think that's pretty you know a lot of people who don't do comedy don't know that to start a show to start your set with untested material is always it's pretty difficult a lot of people say what you do is you start with your great shit then you throw in the new stuff in the middle and then you end with your A shit and so to start with stuff we're like here we go is challenging it took me like that first year and a half of running super secret to to take a step back and being like i'm a huge spoiled piece of shit (laughs) i am giving myself i'm going up third every show and i'm crushing with material that i know is going to crush i'm not taking any risks and i'm getting really drunk every night Mm. and i'm not pushing myself at all and then all of a sudden it was like i want to I want to have the hardest slot on the show. So if I, if I knew Sarah Silverman was going to drop in, you would go after. I would go after. If if you know if it was just all killers, I would go first, or I would go last when like everyone wants to leave. Yeah, and that's when comics started like noticing tags and like yeah. circling in with notes. And 
Which is always ironically a nice compliment when a great comic goes, "Hey, biggest compliment." Yeah, or just like that joke was awesome. It's just like to have an expert piano player looking at someone that that I'm trying to play chopsticks, and for them to go like, "Hey, that was exciting." It's just just like they should not be wasting any of their time or energy on my set. You know, they they've got five other sets tonight, so it was huge. And yeah, Eliza just like circled in one night, complimenting like a tag that I just thought of and from there I just like started trying to be if she was in San Francisco or Sacramento I would I would lie and say well I'm here I'm in town yeah I'm gonna be in town uh could I do some guest sets and I would just like lose money and drive up and work for free but then I started learning like okay the time I'm getting in a green room outside of LA is so much more valuable because if I'm in a green room with any comic in LA they want to talk to 20 other people but if all of a sudden we're the only two comics from LA and we're at the Sacramento punchline it's just like okay well let's get to know each other a little bit sure yeah and thankfully I mean thankfully Eliza saw something in me before I did I I feature for for her full time now so and that's been how many years ready two two and a half two and a half years yeah which is I mean Eliza's I mean she's gotta be top 10 sellers in the world right now it, i mean the the 2020 that never happened to, to, it was to, going to be huge, just to huh? know that our to know what our routing was and and also like when i started doing guest sets for her she was doing 150 250 cap comedy clubs yeah. so not only do i like get to perform at the chicago theater and like and and make like six thousand people laugh at once. Yeah. But I also have been able to see firsthand like the the work and and kind of drive that that got you from A to B or from her to you know yeah. to where she is now. It's been it's been nuts and uh, yeah, that kind of just took me out of producing and and L A as a scene for a while just because I was building the rec room and on the weekends I was on the road with her. Mm-hmm. So I had my in-town sets built in in Orange County, and I had the the weekends just taking me everywhere. Yeah. And now your twenty twenty tour with Eliza was going to be a, it was theaters. Is she how close is she to like stadiums at this point? I would think she. I I don't know because we never got to tour after her Netflix movie with Mark Wahlberg came out. So it's like she was great in that. By the dude, way, she crushed. She was great. And let me tell you something. I I am a theater nerd. I went to grad school for theater. I have like a Broadway vet. All I did was New York theater up until really three years ago, right? And so whenever a comic is, is acting in something, I'm like, let me see. And I was like, yeah, that bitch nailed it. It's so easy to be hypercritical. Comics in general, I, I and this is not you, but like going to an open mic, you're just like everyone in the audience is just judging you and hating you and <laughs> wanting to be, have more than you. Uh, to, to just like, she she ignored like every audition note. They were just like, "Don't do this, don't do that, don't try and do a Boston accent." And she ignored Is she everything. From Boston? No, her accent was flawless. She she went to Emerson in Boston. Okay, yeah. But but that was like the one note. They were like, "Do not try to do a Boston accent," and she ignored it. And it was just you know, dope just to get a phone call. Yeah, and just like Mark Wahlberg just called me, and, and that was a big movie for Netflix too. Yeah. Huge. I think it's like their third of all time as wow. far as like people have seen it. And did that lead to the uh, sketch show, or the sketch show was already kind of in development with her? I think that was already in in development from from them just like buying special after special after special and knowing yeah. that that audience is there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the theaters we were looking at 
we're, we're like you know f- four to six thousand people per show but then like some markets you're doing two shows yeah and it yeah just nuts so and so in the middle of this you tour with eliza running these different rooms super secret uh comedy jam rec room then you met your wife or what what you're, i know you're a married man yeah my wife was there for all of it uh we met on tinder Wow, a Tinder success story. Yeah, <laughs> using the app wrong initially, in but it, uh, this is eight years ago. So, so Tinder's probably pretty fresh in the scene then too. Right? Yeah, it was like the new thing. Before you realized it was basically like a cavalcade of sluts. It, it was the hookup app. Oh, um, was the hookup back then? It was yeah. a dating app then? No, I mean it was it Who was a dating app. Like, well, I don't know this Tinder yeah, but But people were like, oh yeah, people were just hooking up like crazy. She's the only internet date I've ever gone on. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it was great. Uh, was it one of those things where we, the first set you're like, yep. Yeah. It was totally like we had the first date and it was, well, what are you doing tomorrow? And, and yeah. just like everything after that was like, great. This is, this is my life now. Oh, wow. Also just, <laughs> she, she tried dating me like three months earlier uh-huh. and I was just avoiding it. Sure. And she's like, we need to hang out. And I was like, okay, full disclosure, all my cards on the table. Uh, we could go out right now. We could have a great time, but in like a month, you're going to resent me because I'm not where I'm at in my life to be dating someone like you. Like I live with my mom. I don't have a car and I'm, I'm working to like fix those things. But if we start dating now, it's just not going to last anyway. Yeah. And she just said, cool, stop talking to me. (laughs) And, and we just ghosted each other for like three months. And then like three months later, she reached out for what it's worth. I'd still like to hang out. And in that uh, amount of time, I had gotten my own apartment. I had bought a $500 Toyota Corolla and, and I was just, yes, what are you doing tonight? Let me take you out. It was wow. the coolest. And, and now, now we're married. Now we have a house. And, uh, and where do you live? Burbank, like right by the Warner lot. Nice. Like Magnolia Park area uh-huh. by Portos. You have uh, a house and you're, and, you're, and you're thinking about the kid now too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a delicate time to think about bringing life into the world just with the pandemic my wife has lupus so she's really high risk so we've oh, okay. been like approaching everything a, a little more uh delicately sure um but yeah i i'm really excited for that part I, yeah I, i'm i'm really excited to be a well, dad it's great because it seems like you obviously have the mentality of of making your world as big as possible as opposed to making it as small as possible like you, you know a lot of people like hey i gotta focus on this da 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 it seems like it's built into your nature to kind of do all of it, you know? I want to. With that in mind, is, is uh, are you also acting? Are you also kind of looking to stuff like that? I know you're a model now. That's a funny story <laughs> I'd like to hear about. By the way, you are you are a very good looking guy, so don't, Thanks, be, don't be shitty to yourself. Yeah. But like, it's so weird, like people in quarantine have been <laughs> near suicidal. What the fuck am I doing? You're like, hey, during this, I got a modeling contract, which Dude, is hilarious. It's been like a real tight wire walk with my wife because my wife has lupus. So there's there's cognitive symptoms there to begin with. Yeah. she's all, She owns her own s- small business. She owns a spin studio. So she is, I mean, no matter what side of the aisle you are on, I think our government is just passing the buck all the way down to small business owners and business owners sure, on how they police course. the coronavirus. So our whole life has just been like, I don't know if you had this, but when the pandemic started, I had like this coming to God talk with myself. Like what if this career I've been chasing as a stand-up comic for the last eight years just isn't a thing anymore? Yeah. 
when when everything was so unknown and like no one was really rallying with any solutions it was just what what if all this goes away so much of my excitement to be a dad is tied to my excitement of what i've done professionally and 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 it just it really rattled me to realize how much of my self-identity is directly tied to what i do and at the same time my wife in february in early March, first week of March, her business was appraised for like close to $800,000 and we put it on the market. And she's put the last eight years of her life into that. At the end of March, zero, do- zero dollar evaluation for her business. Wow. Just nobody's buying anything. Nobody wants businesses. Nobody knows when anything's going to open back up. Spin studios are like comedy clubs. You are tightly packed. Yeah. Lots of sweat and horrible ventilation, just dark, sweaty. Uh, And she's also dealing with like customer opinions and, and, you know, other businesses and just, okay, you can be open this week. Okay. You can't be open this week. And just, really just like going to bed and waking up crying every day because she's also just come to realize that this isn't what she wanted to do with her life. She was excited to sell it because this was like her dad's dream and not hers. Yeah. Cut to me walking into her office like, Hey hon, I posted this fat joke on TikTok and IMG offered to sign me as a model or like, Hey hon, <laughs> look at all these likes that that I'm getting on this sketch video I just made in the garage, or you know, or hey hon, my friend had this idea for a a disruptive interactive platform, and now we're doing you know socially responsible comedy shows during a pandemic. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's doing so much better, but like it has been such a dance of sure, of course, my quarantine versus her quarantine. You gotta be supportive, and you also have to pursue your, your 100% and it's and by, the, by the way I should it, there is a Black Lives uh, Matter uh, rally happening right beyond us so I love pick it up that much in the mic but but just if you hear that's what's happening very important uh, maybe we can stop in a bit and go check it out if you want to yeah um, I do want to hear about how the because uh, it's a really really cool idea and I think it could be something I think it already is something that is sort of revolutionary but uh, how did that come about? How, w- was it your idea? Was it your brainchild? Because explain what's happening with your interactive shows. It wasn't my idea. Um, it isn't my idea. Um, I did a couple of Zoom shows from a garage like early on, and it was just the worst. Yes. Um, like, I did one with audience interaction, like where they had the audience unmuted and you could hear laughter, and I did one where everyone was muted and just like commenting laughy faces. Uh-huh. And both were just like, this is... Good. Well, part of it, there's there's that small lag, too, that exists in Zoom. A, a pretty large, sizable lag. Yeah. At least, like, when you're, when you're a comic and you're living or dying by, like, did this tag work or did this tag hit? And so much of it is timing and cadence and building momentum. So to have all that just, like, struck away. Yeah. And I, I do storytelling, so it, 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 it isn't great for me. You know, sure. there's lots of like crowd work comics that are fucking killing it right now yeah. or, or, you know, improvised musical comedy, just, just the, these other veins of comedies, which are equally just as great are just a little better outfitted, like one liners killer for the zoom game. Oh, for sure. I, I said that, uh, when it first happened, like I guess Zoom's show started like maybe three months ago, mm-hmm. um, maybe three and a half months ago for, and I, I said, I did 
w- one of the early ones. And I said it's like having sex with a condom. Like you don't prefer it. Um, it's something, you know. But at least it's something, and you don't get a disease. So yeah. Why not? <laughs> it's it's. I mean, the big asterisk, the thing that like every comic starts with whether they've tried one or not is well it's not the same thing yeah and of, of course it's not the same thing um and just the zoom shows i had done were horrible luckily i my one of my friends who i started off in comedy with his name's bubba Gennady. uh-huh he's just a good dude um so i've always just been nice to him i'm, I'm not just a, like as a person i don't re- usually lead with like what do you do or or like be nicer to somebody because of their job or anything like that so just from being consistently nice to my friend because he was a person he was like i have this idea (laughs) and and his day job before the pandemic was he was a tour manager for like dj snake and a bunch of these huge festival level headliners so he comes from this world of like designing the main stage at coachella or tomorrowland or nocturnal or edc yeah so as soon as his tour got canceled, which was like right around the same time Eliza and I came off the road, he, before a shutdown was even in place, he called in every favor he had, took a bunch of gear and just put it in the rehearsal space, you know, just essentially calling these production houses like, Hey, every tour is canceled. You guys are just gonna be housing this in your warehouse. Can I play around with it? And what he came up with was this wraparound wall that you can map an audience onto yeah and when he brought me in here there i was just like your brain kind of goes numb and you're like trying to figure out how it works and i'm still trying to like wrap my head around like the capabilities of the technology but then instantly i was like okay you need to move these speakers here the laughs need to hit the artist like this the lights need to come down like it was just like this is great but we need to make sure that it feels as close to the real thing yeah because anyone can get a tv and make it wrap around you but if sure. we can make the artist experience so close then then your business is protected then 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 we still have jobs maybe and you also do this with musical guests too as well right yeah we, they had done a lot of music stuff like they did a lot of live streams <laughs> it's I getting feel, pretty loud <laughs> i feel like we should check it out um we, they, they were doing live streams for like Lollapalooza and all these festivals but it was all pre-recorded or no interactive audience yeah and so the comedy was like the first thing to have the interactive audience where you can like i can stand on stage and like see someone and do crowd work or if i get heckled from the left side of the stage i'll hear that audio from the left and i can like look great and like find them and we just my my friend tyler rich who's a, a very successful country artist just did his first show and he had he had fans watching from india he he had th- th- this girl that woke up at 7 a.m. in India to watch her first country concert. And we've had super secrets where people laughing on the wall have COVID. And so it's just like this selfish thing that came from like wanting to create stage time again has like turned into this weird inclusive like no matter where you are in the world, no matter what your 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 social situation is, like you can have a night out still. Well, it sounds like you're the one who cracked it because... And I will never talk shit about the Laugh Factory, but you know they had the the live streaming shows with no audience, mm-hmm. literally no audience. So, uh, and if the MC of that show doesn't want to wait and generously laugh at your jokes, you're speaking to literally Oof. a camera, full full body shot too. Wow. So um, you end up just shot out of a cannon 
like telling like monologuing and go hey that's and like you have to say hey that's a good joke just to hello <laughs> anyway it's it's and their comments and basically the comments are just like fuck this guy <laughs> yeah um it, it so i mean didn't work the zoom shows haven't worked and this show i've heard from a couple people like man this is the way it should be done now uh, is the lag still there? Is is somehow the lag removed, or is it still there? But doesn't it's not as as noticeable because of how immersed you are. We've closed the gap. It's definitely less noticeable because of how immersed you are, but it's also less noticeable because, I mean, my my friend Bubba came up with this idea. I I walked in and I had a thousand ideas, but there's also just like a team of people behind the scenes, like the light designer from Coachella, the, yeah. the, you know, the, the front of house audio guy from this, you know, it's just like this, I call us the lost boys from Peter Pan. Just like it's all, we're all these amazing people probably like among the best of their, like their, yeah. their crafts out of work. So, I mean, the lag is down because we've gotten on conference calls with the CEO of zoom and their top engineers and like wow. figured out ways to like organize people on our end to like cut down on the lag time. Amazing. So like less than half a second now, I think the lag time. So what, did, what was it normally? Like is it I think like one and a half, I think. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, for some of them, I, I guess it's all based on like what your connection is. Maybe your Wi-Fi, your 5g. Your right. Yeah. Cause, cause we have to, send it from the stage to broadcast that gets sent to their home. Then they laugh and that gets sent back to you. Yeah. And it's, it's like so close now to where you can ask someone a question and then like that, they're answering it. Oh, wow. So it's That's just, incredible. it's, it's, it's nuts. And, and to know that people are watching from all over the world is just crazy. So it's like still not the same, but I mean, it feels it's as close as you can get with, and it it might be, I mean, you might have proprietary technology that will inform how comedy is going to play for the next five years. You don't know. I mean, this could be with us forever. We have a patent pending on the design. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just like one of the other things I brought up right away was making sure that people can't record the show so that oh, jokes yeah. are safe and geo mapping. So like if I use Eliza as my example, just cause I'm used to touring with her, but like from running the rec room, I understand like radius clauses and like, these these huge comics still have existing contracts for all these tours that were rescheduled so they still yep. have radius clauses in all these cities so we now have geo mapping to where like we can allow or prohibit people to buy tickets and watch the show depending on where they are geographically so that we're not competing with any existing oh, contracts wow. interesting and we have encrypted ticket links and like pirating technology to where like you can't rip our our show with like screen capture software yeah. so it's 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 pretty complex. And we've done drive-in shows where it's just like yeah, super fun to like travel and get out again. But like people had like drones in the sky and you could record whatever you want. Yeah. And yeah. you do the drive-in show with the, with the honking horns. Yeah. The honking horns. How I, is that? I've heard mixed things oh, about that. <laughs> it's not too different from doing a normal zoom show. It's, it's, You're it's an exercise removed from, yeah the reality of the yeah it was great to be able to travel it was great to like you're, you're performing on these large outdoor stages with like your face on jumbotron so there is like kind of like an excitement and like a festival feel on the back side of it i'm not sure what it feels on the consumer end one of them we did people had to stay in their cars one of them they, they socially distanced the cars even though you you couldn't get out of them oh you couldn't get out and you, the cars were still socially distanced. yeah which seemed wow. like a bit much for me yeah. uh and then the other ones you had like a plot of land and you could put out like 
beach chairs and you know oh that's cool kind of like had to stay in your bubble um and it was fun but it, it is definitely like a different thing like we did our first show and i was like okay this is a different thing i can still get good at it i can yeah. still get better at this but it's it's you know there i think there's a, a lot more of a human connection with being able to like look on even if it's a screen to like look at 50 people and like see them laughing and see their reactions Is that how many screens are 50 screens we we can have 50 at once with our current design and it wraps around like 180 degrees 270 degree 270. wrap <laughs> uh, awesome. and they're watching a broadcast from like seven cameras so yeah. they're like hidden in the wall and yeah to like see someone's reaction to see someone smile and be able to like and piggyback off of it have you have you approached networks about this like is this a pitch i mean what a great thing to get on we were trying we everyone that walks off the stage says i want to do a special here yeah so obviously our thinking is well if everyone wants to do a special here then we should probably make it a series because once one person does it that's kind of it uh for the concept so we've we've sent it to netflix they said right now they're not really looking at that avenue as, as something they want to do for their, their comedy stars. Mm -hmm. Um, but I absolutely think it could be a series. I mean, if not like right now we're just operating as like a little gorilla network, you know, we're, we're selling tickets, we're doing live shows. It would be so cool to like partner with someone like Twitch or like AEG or live nation, you know, to where they have these existing databases and like can help us get the word out. Yeah. But, um, it's, Dude, it's just like fun to go tell jokes, try new material, hear in real time whether or not they're working. Yeah. And then to like sit, we have an outdoor green room. Yours is much nicer. <laughs> but we have like bean bags and a tent and like a feed of the show and just to sit outside with masks on and be around other comics and like watch people sets and be like, oh, that was great. And like catch up with other comics. Just like the hang of being a comic. Yeah, which is part of it for sure. Oh, I just to have some version of that back is just so cool i missed it so much every time we do a show i drive away just like wishing a deli was still open and i (laughs) you know it's just just, i i i'm proud of us and and whether or not it gets bigger i i i don't i don't know i don't really focus on those things yeah yeah well listen hunter um man uh we're about an hour you you you're awesome dude and it's just so cool to hear that you keep doing new stuff and everything that you do, I, I hear about in a positive way. And your show, the how would you plug it? It's Super Secret Comedy on, on Instagram. What, what Instagram? What's your yeah? Uh, Super Secret Comedy on Instagram. SuperSecretShow.com. In Crowd Comedy on Instagram. In Crowd Studio on Instagram. In Crowd Studio is a website. Um, In Crowd's like the name of the platform. Yeah. That we've all cl- kind of like collectively built. Yes. That that my friend Bubba came up with. So, so hopefully we start. Yeah. So if you guys, stuff. if you want to watch comedy now, because a lot of people, I keep going, oh, I miss comedy, I miss comedy. People keep asking me to come to their goofy ass red state to do a show. <laughs> oh <laughs> and don't God. don't ask if you can watch it after the show. We don't post anything. Yeah, which is great. after the fact. Make a night of it. We don't want this to yeah. be like something that people are watching passively. So this is this is the this is the way to do it. This is I think this could be the, the next wave and the new form of comedy. Because who knows what's going to happen with this with this virus? But like. Um, 
I think either way, this is still going to be a relevant and pertinent and exciting thing for the next year, at the very least. You know? Absolutely. I mean, there's always going to be markets that don't really make sense to like, travel to physically. And what a cool way to like share the club and alt world of LA and New York yeah. with like the rest of the country. Wow, that's amazing. And you could probably expand it in so many different ways, too, and do backstage shit. And who Dude, knows? My, my brain goes crazy. We, we just pitched Comic-Con to replace all their panels. Yeah. It's it just like game shows. Yeah. It, my, my brain is just perpetually tired with excitement. Yes. That's yeah. awesome, man. Well, Hunter Hill, um, everyone should uh, know about your comedy and what you do as a producer and as a person. You're a good dude. Uh, I've, I've always been a fan. And uh, how can people reach you? How can uh, they check you out? My Instagram is at Hunter Hill Comedy, HunterHillComedy.com. Uh, yeah, that should do it. That should do it. Yeah, or All they right. can text me at 310-299-9272. You never get too many crazy people getting in your text? Not yet. <laughs> you will now. Yeah, we'll oh, see. It was wrong podcast to do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much for coming, Hunter. Maybe we'll go check out this, uh, this rally across the street. Yeah, I think we should. All right. Bye. Thank you, man.